Hey book friends, this is Corey. Thanks for listening along as we have a book club of two over a cup of tea. Our goal is to explore beloved genres as well as push ourselves out of our comfort zone and explore genres we might typically overlook or avoid. In each episode, we discuss a randomly selected genre. We will be sharing our reading experience and a brief review of the books we recommended to each other from the previous episode. Also a heads up, so that we can have a rich and in-depth conversation, there may be spoilers about the books we are discussing. All right, let's get started. This is episode 10. Today we're talking about banned books. All right, let's get started. Can you believe that we're already on episode 10? Stop it. It is crazy. Yeah, I know. Well, really, when you think we've been working on this since, what do we decide? March. March. Yeah. Man, what a journey. I know. It's been a <laughs> roller coaster of uh, learning and emotions and stress and anxiety and excitement and everything. And now both of us have, have did major life changes in getting new jobs in the process. I know. <laughs> Let's add a wrench in this plan. I mean, really, our lives have changed so much since we started this. Yeah, definitely. In a short amount of time. Yeah, very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Which I guess is my news for the week, although it's not new news by the time you hear this. I switched jobs. I am now officially faculty at NAU. Um, I'm working with our classes for students that are on academic probation. So trying to change some lives and keep them in school. Uh, so it's going to be hard, yeah, but exciting. But I had a really short turnaround. So I'm still trying to wrap up things for my old job, which was very bittersweet to leave. And uh, I hope it continues to grow without me. So mm. I don't know. It was hard to leave it behind, but I really want to be teaching. And this felt like the right, the next right step. Yeah, I kind of felt like that, too, when I left my job in April. It was a quick turnaround time, and I catch myself thinking about it, being like, I wonder what they're doing, and I kind of miss not knowing what's happening with science, and it's. I think it's always hard when you love a place to leave, mm-hmm. but when you need to grow for your own personal well-being, it's this love-hate relationship of happiness and sadness at the same time. Absolutely. Okay. Well, uh, so we're back to drinking some tea this week, and I gave us Aged Earl Grey by Numi Organic Tea. So it's a Psalm Black Tea aged with real bergamot and orange peel. Um, And one of the things I like about Numi is it is organic, and um, it has very few ingredients listed in it. They're based out of Oakland, California. And yeah, I think they definitely have a whole lot of things about how they support the planet with recyclable boxes and compostable tea bags and programs that lower and offset their carbon emissions. So kudos to them. I, I like their company a lot. And it's actually pretty good. We ended up not having any sort of milk for our tea today. So we only let it steep for maybe a minute for us to take our picture that we put on our blog and we both pulled our tea bags and it's pretty subtle. It doesn't, I don't feel like it needs any tea sweetener or milk mm-hmm. to make it taste good. Yeah. I could have let mine steep maybe another minute or so, but <laughs> you made me all paranoid with your like, there's, but I don't normally put milk in my tea. So that's even black tea. Nope. Mm-hmm. Really? Really. Oh, see, we're learning things about each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, what I'd love to do with this, have you ever had like either hot chocolate or like a, like a, chocolate pudding that has earl gray in it no so good that sounds delicious yeah earl gray and chocolate go together very very well Well, it might be we'll have to do another variation of this one maybe when the winter when it gets a little colder yeah that's a good idea i'll do us a special hot chocolate yeah (laughs) that'd be delicious can we have the pudding too sure okay (laughs) 
You can't make any noises while you're eating, though. <laughs> or we'll eat it before we start recording. <laughs> okay, well, enough about tea. Um, so as we said, we are talking about banned books. So we both have some notes this week, and I'm going to let Curie go first. So Corey was just telling me that our notes are completely opposite of one another in regards that we just focused on different things, perhaps, and found out different information. So you're going to get a plethora, a plethora. Of, in- of information today, and mostly because... Uh, one of the books that we have read may or may not have been very good or <laughs> delightful in any don't way. Spoil it for them. <laughs> they don't know which one yet. <laughs> right, right. So the research that I did said a banned book is one that has been removed from the shelves of a library, bookstore, or classroom because of its controversial content. In some cases, banned books of the past have been burned and or refused publication. Possession of banned books has at times been regarded as an act of treason or hearsay, which was punishable by death, torture, prison, time, or other acts of retribution. Jeez, for reading a book. I know. (laughs) We'd be in so much trouble. (laughs) We'd be screwed. Um, A book may be considered a banned book if the work has been banned in the past. So Mm -hmm. um, I don't think the books that we've read for this week have... um, They're not currently banned. They're not currently Mm -hmm. banned. I think they realize the ridiculousness of it, but... Uh, book censor- book censor- censorship Wow! in the United States began in the mid-19th century, and one of the first publicized cases in America was the banning of Charles Darwin's On the Origin of Species in Trinity College because it contains his theory of evolution and was banned in other parts of America, notably including Tennessee. I forgot about that. That's that one trial, the Scopes trial. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd completely forgotten. And then the practice of banning books became more prevalent in the mid-20th century as progressive writers such as Ernest Hemingway, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and T.S. Eliot began their literary careers. So these authors were all considered modernists and did not refrain from revealing their opinions about controversial subject matters. For example, Hemingway's A Farewell to Arms depicts the grim realities of World War I. The tale of two lovers, Frederick Henry and Catherine Barclay, also includes graphic details of a childbirth gone awry. Jeez. Yeah. So it's it strays greatly from traditional literature, and I think most of America didn't like it. Shocking. Shocking. Something new that they don't know, and it makes them feel uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So around a decade after Civil War's end, one man came along who dictated the future of American censorship. His name was Anthony Comstock. I've never he, heard of him. I haven't. I didn't either, but he was on Wikipedia. So thank you, Wikipedia. <laughs> thank you, Wikipedia. <laughs> a postal inspector whose rigid sense of morality made nearly every piece of photography and writing vulnerable to his censor. His organization, the New York Society for the Suppression of Vice and the vast reach of the Postal Service, Comstock had control over what Americans could read or view for decades. That's crazy. I can't. One man. I know. Hmm. But, you know, he probably started a little gang and they were like the censor gang. (laughs) (laughs) So books are still banned throughout the world. Nowhere in the world can everything be published, although the prohibitions vary strikingly from one country to another. Hate speech, for example, is prohibited in a number of countries, such as Sweden, though some of the books may be legal in the United States or United Kingdom, uh, where the only prohibition is on child pornography, which I didn't realize, like... Well, that's fair. Although I, then it gets into books like Lolita and... Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, even movies like... What was that movie that just came out? Um, Moon something? Oh, Moonlight. Yeah, which is... I haven't seen it, but I've seen. heard some pretty intense okay. reviews from it. So, anyway, some of 
Some believe that banning of specific books is appropriate, such as the anti-Semitic protocols of the elders of Zion in Russia or Hitler's Mein Kampf in Austria. So some of them, I guess, make sense based on the history that those countries may have mm-hmm. gone through. Mm-hmm. But uh, pretty – it seems like everybody could take a book the wrong way and all books should be banned because somebody's always going to find offense with a book at yeah. some point or another. So it's pretty interesting to see see how it's come along. So what did you find out, Corey? So interestingly, I I appreciate that for once you kind of dug into the history of things (laughs) and mine is a little more current. The reason that we are doing Banned Books this week is because there's actually Banned Books Week um, sponsored by the American Library Association. So that happens September 24th through the 30th. And I highly recommend you go check out their website. They have so much information. It's really intriguing. Um, But they're advocating for intellectual freedom, creative expression, the freedom to read, and the value of open and free access to information. They also have a hashtag, words have power. Nice. I know. I like that. I was like, ooh, we'll have to use that. Um, And they provide an annual list of the books that have been most banned or challenged. And we'll include that link in show notes. So... My, again, as I said, my information is a little more recent. So in 2016, there were 323 challenges documented by the Office for Intellectual Freedom. Wow. Right? Yeah. But just because they were challenged, so there's a difference between something being challenged and something being banned. Anyone can make a challenge, and then that's when, that's like the, the appeal to make it banned, and then it could or could not be banned. Oh, okay. Um, so here's what I, we have a link, like I said, we'll have a link in the show notes to the list, so I'm not going to read them here. But here's what I noticed. Uh, the link to the top five books that were challenged um, included LGBT characters. Oh, Jesus. Which is timely. I mean, you know, I mean, I think, you know, that's the thing. You could probably do a really interesting research project regarding what are the issues of the time and who is being oppressed um, or misunderstood or whatever you want to say and what kind of books are being banned. But for, I mean, I guess that makes sense as to why my choice, The Well mm-hmm. of Loneliness, was banned in the early 1900s. But, you know, it's 2017. I kind of feel like... uh, Have you read the news lately? I I try not to. It (laughs) makes me very sad. Well, true, true. True, true. So, okay. So that was one important thing that I noticed. Eight of them were challenged for having sexually explicit themes. Have we seen television these days? I don't understand why that's a big deal. I know. Three were challenged for profanity or offensive language. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> so, yeah, on one hand, I was I was shocked. On the other hand, I was not shocked by the reasons for things being challenged or banned. On the other hand, I was like, you, I was like, sheesh, are we not in the 21st century people? Right. But I think that comes to why are books banned? Um, and so the things that I found and I wrote down, it's often with the best of intentions. But then I said, you know what we say about intentions? Yeah. The road to hell is paved with them. <laughs> You've never heard that? No. Stop it. <laughs> it's one of my old grandma sayings. Nice. Some of my students are like, you talk like a grandma. And I'm like, no. <laughs> Do you go hashtag YOLO? Because then you could just throw them off completely. I should. They'd probably still say, you're talking like a grandma. <laughs> if I said hashtag FOMO, then they'd be like, no, wrong use, Corey. <laughs> Anyways, okay, seriously. Uh, so the top reasons for challenges and bans, offensive language, sexual content, and here's the key, inappropriate for age for the age group. And so often, as you alluded to, books are being banned because they're in libraries, schools, mm-hmm. things like that. So I think, you know, we're, we're trying to protect the young minds of our children, which, again, as you said, if you know TV or movies, but I guess the thought there is, is parents at least think that they have more control over the internet, TV or movies. They may or may not, but that's a whole nother 
conversation. Yeah. Uh, so other top reasons for books being banned or challenged, violence, homosexuality, religious points of view, racism, drugs, alcohol, or being anti-family. And people tend to challenge books and their content because they want to suppress, suppress something that conflicts with or challenges their beliefs and values. So parents challenge material more than any other group. Weird. Because mm-hmm. I kind of feel like a lot of kids these days these days play video games and i feel like video games are like freaking violent like yeah i Mm -hmm. mean you're killing people you're Mm -hmm. doing weird like some of the characters say raunchy things Mm -hmm. and i'm just kind of like wait books versus video games and you don't ban like i wonder if any video game has been banned we should look that up yeah stay tuned listeners if you know this post it in our comments yeah (laughs) so here's the thing and again i think this ties really closely to a lot of the issues that are coming again coming up in the news i found this quote great quote uh, that's by noam chomsky and so again we're talking first amendment rights really is what we're coming down to and he said if we don't believe in freedom of, of expression for people we despise we don't believe in it at all mm-hmm. and i struggle with that number one yeah because then we're getting into things like hate speech and you know there's a lot of conversations out there today of Should, you know, what does freedom of expression look like and when does it cross the line into oppression and racism? And at that point, so it's really complicated. I'm not saying there's an easy answer here, Mm -hmm. but just because something makes us uncomfortable, should we try and eliminate it? Uh, That doesn't fix the problem. I think that's the point he's making is if, you know, shutting down the dialogue or the information doesn't fix what's going on. And I kind of feel like that happened. I I noticed that a lot with this past election. Mm -hmm. And not to get political, I'm not trying to say anything, but it was interesting to see how Facebook reacted to what happened. Like, there were some people that were super stoked. There were Mm -hmm. some people that were, you know, in tears and couldn't get out of their house. And how then those people were being quite mean and awful to the people that were excited. Mm -hmm. And I had this moment of you're becoming the hate that you say that you hate. Mm -hmm. Because, yes, they didn't vote the way you did and the outcome wasn't the way you wanted it. But you're still being kind of a jerk. Like, you're being mean and you're Mm -hmm. name-calling. And there are people, too. And, you know, I try to remember that every time somebody says something stupid and I don't agree with it, I'm like, you know, there's somebody's kid, there's somebody's partner, there's somebody's person in their life that matters to them. Mm -hmm. And I would hate for somebody to say something about me based on that without realizing, like, she's a partner, she's a daughter, she's Mm -hmm. a cousin. And I, you know, I don't, I don't buy into that sort of rhetoric of, you know, you say that you're all powerful and you're loving and kind, but then you bash people for Mm -hmm. voting a certain way or doing something that you wouldn't, you don't think is appropriate. And it's just this tricky subject matter of being proactive in your voice, but maybe without being rude to somebody else. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, it's complicated. And I think similarly, what I often think to myself is, even if, you know, so I'll say you, in my head, I'll be like, you are wrong, or how can you say that or think that or believe that? But I also try and remind myself that there's a, whether I agree with it or not, there is a reason or an event in their lives Mm -hmm. that makes them think this way or believe that. And that doesn't mean that what they're saying is appropriate or right, 
but I try and remember the context of there's something that brought them to this point. Yeah. That whether we're talking about hate speech or who you voted for or whatever, mm-hmm. um, there's something else going on there. Yeah. And I think hide, hiding it under the rug doesn't do away with it. Right. And name calling, I think, just mm-hmm. makes what the separation of this country currently is yeah. getting stronger because it's always them versus mm-hmm. us. And yeah. it's just, it's complicated. It is complicated. <laughs> and I think, you know, I, I think that's where I struggle with banned books, though, is that they should represent a wide range of thoughts. And often, you know, books are fun to read, but sometimes they should make us think. They should make us, they should challenge us. We should be thinking about context and why, why is it making us uncomfortable or why did the author write this? And so, you know, just like freedom of speech, it's just, it's something that I think we should continue to celebrate and um, and examine closely. Yeah, and I think we've been able to do that a lot with the books that we've read, like the Henrietta Lacks story, you know, mm-hmm. when we're, I think you had mentioned a quote about like, what is consent or something like that. And then I was like, what if we switch this to something like rape or, you know, getting beat, that context changes. And mm-hmm. I think that is what challenges us of, should we require consent for everything? And, yep, you know. Well, and I think that was a key thing that I found in doing my research is that the majority of the books that are challenged contain diverse content. Um, And by diverse content, that means um, content about people of color, LGBT people, LGBT people, or people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. So again, issues that make us uncomfortable, that are controversial, and, you know, and I think that's problematic. So I did look at what are some of what was the first banned book and the most frequently banned books. So ready for this one? The Bible was the first banned book Hmm. in 1455. Wow. But interestingly, it did not make the American Library Association's list of most banned books until 2015. Wow. I know. That is a huge difference in time. Right? Um, Oh, here. so, So these are kind of fun facts. The Communist Manifesto by Frederick Engels and Karl Marx has been banned for 165 years in Turkey, starting in 1848. Wow. So it's the second um, longest, it's the second banned book and the most long-running banned book, I believe. And then um, some classic ones, which are, again, often challenged. So Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain, Call of the Wild by Jack London, that was by, banned by the Nazis during World War II for being too radical. Oh, man. We're not really sure what why it was oh, too radical, but... <laughs> that doesn't make any sense in my brain. Um, of Mice and Men by mm. Ch- John Steinbeck. The Chocolate War by Robert Cormier comes up often still. And then the Harry Potter series is one of the more frequent, <laughs> often banned books for all the magical stuff. Oh, man. And then my last fun random fact... China banned green eggs and ham by Dr. Seuss from 1960 to 1991 for subversive content. Green eggs and ham. Yes, I am, Sam. I was like, seriously? so funny. (laughs) But I really felt like I needed to share that. Okay. uh, So that's all our factoids and history of banned books. I definitely learned a lot, and it really made me think, and I was excited to do all that research. Awesome. Now it's time to move on to the books. So I'm going first, right? Yep. Okay. So I picked, drumroll, actually you already know this, right? (laughs) Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. So I picked this because it's a classic that I had not read yet, but felt like I should have read by now. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought it was also a perfect 
pick to discuss banned books on a podcast about books because it was about banned books. It felt felt very meta. I was like, get it, girl. Um, So it was published in 1953 by Ray Bradbury, and it's a futuristic novel about a dystopian America where books are banned. Firemen do not put out fires. They They set fires at homes where books are found. And the main character named is named Guy Montag, and he is a fireman. Um, I kind of did your little random thoughts this nice. time. I totally coughed <laughs> off of you. So I'm going to do that and kind of weave some of that in here. First of all, Fahrenheit's hard to spell. Mm-hmm. I Yet yeah, I'm still trying to figure out how to spell Me the dang too. word. Yep. Every time I would type it, I'd be like, wait, no, that's not Red right. squiggly doom of death. Oh, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> It was way shorter than I thought, which was not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did look up why it was banned. And I could only find three specific examples of challenges, um, and they were all in bands, and they were in schools starting in, like, the late 80s. But they were specifically for language, so the use of the word goddamn, um, alcohol and cigarette use, and then using, the God's, using God's name in vain. There was also questionable themes of opposing a government who's trying to suppress freedom of expression and thought. So I was like, okay. But so I think it's not as probably as controversial as some of the books we could have picked. Yeah. But I, I'm still glad I picked it. Mm-hmm. I, th- so I have the 60th anniversary edition, which has a really cool cover. That's why I bought it. So you'll see that on the pictures. Uh, but I liked, there was an introduction by Neil Gaiman. And he does this whole explanation of questions writers of science fiction or spec- speculative fiction ask themselves. And of course, Ray Bradbury falls into that category. Mm. And so it was, what if, if only, if this goes on, with kind of dot, dot, dot after each of them. And I thought, well, that's a really great way to explain how writers get their ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, again, what if books are banned? What might that world look like? Right. And so you could totally see that with this. We definitely wouldn't have this podcast. You think? If books are banned. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't be in a book club. <laughs> we would not have hundreds of books. We wouldn't be friends. I know. <gasps> that would be sad. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad books aren't banned. I know. Me too. <laughs> so general thoughts. I thought this was timeless. And in fact, I found it kind of eerily accurate for some of our life today already. Yeah. The So, you know, what I took in mind was, again, context. So it was written in the 50s around the time that televisions were becoming very commonplace in homes and really popular. And you could tell Ray Bradbury was pushing against that. And I think the ideas of minimum speed limits where you could get arrested if you were going too slow. Yeah. Or you could be arrested if you were a pedestrian. I was like, wow. (laughs) Again. And I would say I didn't expect... Having not read any Ray Bradbury before, the writing was beautiful. Yeah, it was lovely. It was, I mean, I want, even as I was reviewing um, places where I had made notes today, I was like, oh my gosh, that was such a, be-. like narrowing it down to just a couple of uh, quotations to share was really, really hard because yeah. it was written so well. So if you've not read this, I mean, it's literally less than 200 words and it's so good. Um, so as you might be figuring out, I'm a sucker for a good first sentence. And I think really the first sentence in this slash the intro was amazing. So I'm just going to read it to y'all. It was a pleasure to burn. It was a special pleasure to see things eaten, to see things blackened and changed. With the brass nozzle in his fists, with this great python spitting its venomous kerosene upon the world, the blood pounded in his head, and his hands were the hands of some amazing conductor playing all the symphonies of blazing and burning to bring down the tatters and charcoal ruins of history. 
with his symbolic helmet numbered 451 on his stolid head and his eyes all orange flame with the thought of what came next. He flicked the igniter and the house jumped up in a gorging fire that burned the evening sky red and yellow and black. He strode in a swarm of fireflies. He wanted above all, like the old joke, to shove a marshmallow on a stick in the furnace while the flapping pigeon wing books died on the porch. Yeah. And that's how it starts. And you're like, whoa. Captivated already. Yep. So, yeah. um, I I mean, it just, you know, he definitely, the main protagonist had a sad life and a sad wife. And a really, I mean, I just, I felt bad for him. Um, But again, you know, I just thought there was things like the seashells in the ears, Mm -hmm. the little, what are they? I don't know. They were like, they were like precursors of earbuds in the 19, he was like describing earbuds in the 1950s. And I was like... Yep. <laughs> Everyone walks around with them in there right now. Um, he So there's a couple pivotal points in his life and, and critical things to know. He uh, s- steals a book from a house mm-hmm. and a woman commits suicide at the same time. And so that's really important. And then you discover that he actually has been stealing books for a while. Um, he meets a young teenager named Clarice, which I kept thinking to myself, are the lambs still screaming, Clarice? <laughs> <laughs> Did you get that? Uh, no. Really? I w- so I listened to it. Oh, so I couldn't okay. really see the spelling of it. So I just, it was just a okay. name in the, oh, the audio book okay. for me. Yeah. So for those of you, hopefully you got my Silence of the Lamb reference yeah. there. But um, but I, the interactions with her were so interesting and beautiful, too. And I, you know, and so one of my questions was, did Clarice die? I was really confused. I think so. Okay. Yeah. Bummer. Uh, the creepy dog thing, the hound. Yeah. Oh. And I, my last note was, could we call this dark but hopeful? I think so. I, I don't know. I mean, I think Montag's transformation is pretty beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like his transformation of being this, you know, this fireman that, burns these books and then you realize that he's been like hiding them right and then his wife finds them and then she turns them in i know she's such a with an itch (laughs) no cussing (laughs) we're trying people (laughs) yeah i mean i thought yeah yeah so you tell me about your experience in listening to it so I got the audiobook from the library and it's a you know maybe 8 hour not even 8 hour I think it's 4 hours of audiobook and it was so well done. Mm-hmm. Like the narrator's voice is beautiful and perfect and I mm-hmm. could see all of the images as I was listening to it. Um but I think at the same time there's always this mm, you miss something with reading the book. Like you don't really notice what is happening because it's almost like you're just listening in on a conversation. Oh, okay. And so sometimes it's hard for me to really get to know the characters because mm-hmm. I feel like I'm a fly on the wall. No, I, I, and I yeah, think I get some it. books mm-hmm. when you're reading them, you feel like you're part of that story. And mm-hmm. this one's definitely, I was an outsider looking in. Sure. Um, well, and again, I mean, the language in this was so beautiful. Yeah. I definitely found myself going back and rereading passages, mm-hmm. even when I was reading it the first time. Yep. And when you're listening to it, you certainly can pick up on that. But I think it's different seeing it versus hearing it. Yeah. And I think so one of the notes that I made was um, about his Montag's inner emotional and moral journey from a character who burns books gleefully with a smile on his face to someone who's willing to risk his career, his marriage, his house, his life to mm-hmm. 
save, a book. save books. Mm-hmm. And that description, like the prose that is used throughout this book is just so poetic. Mm-hmm. It's inspiring. It's just beautifully sentences without being obnoxious. So as we know, I tend to not like overly wordy <laughs> descriptions. And I felt at times, maybe because I was listening to the book and not seeing how long the sentences were, it was easier for me to not pay as much attention to how long something was because I was just listening to it. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and I actually have a quote or a history about what Bradbury has stated about this novel. Oh. And it's not about censor- censorship, but a story about how television destroys interest in reading literature, okay. which leads to a perception of knowledge as being composed of factoids, partial information devoid of context. Well, and I think, and I, I see in your notes the word prophetic mm-hmm. or prophetic, mm-hmm. prophetic or prophetic. Anyways, prophetic. prophetic. And I agree. And I think that was one of the, again, I alluded to that earlier, but it's almost eerie how spot on Mm -hmm. some of his vision of a near future world was. Even the ideas of reality TV from the way that people engaged with the TV in their rooms Mm -hmm. and called them family Mm -hmm. to the chase of him. I was like, this is like the first precursor to that um, book, The Running Man. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Where they're tracking him through cameras and everyone is watching and looking for him and reporting reporting him, Mm -hmm. which ultimately leads to his ability to escape. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, but again, the earbuds and, yeah. you know, when Clarice was talking about how school how school was ran and how so much of it was TV and mm-hmm. I, I was and I think, yeah, and even that quote that you made when you think about how reliant we are on social media yep. and for for reading headlines and short little snippets of information. And there's so many articles out there about how our attention spans and mm-hmm. distraction and all that stuff. And it's happening right now. Yeah. And, you know, luckily the the bit about books being banned and burned isn't happening. Right. But the overall concept that he was concerned about, it has kind of come to fruition and I don't see it changing anytime in the near future. Yeah. So I have a question mm-hmm. about what is it about books, about poetry and literature that is so essential to us? Ooh. Isn't that a good one? That is a good yeah. one. Yeah. Wow. We might have to come back on that one. Yeah. It's kind of a deep question about... It is. Like, I cannot imagine my life without books at this uh-huh. point. Uh-huh. And I don't really know what drives that. I don't know if it... Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily escapism, but I, for me, I think it's about living in different cultures and different mm-hmm. times and mm-hmm. different experiences and kind of taking on roles of people in the book. No, yeah, I think... I would probably, I would agree. I don't know that I would have come up with that immediately, but beyond the entertainment and escapism thing, it is, yeah, it's an ex- exploration of a different, per- of another person's experience of a different time, of a different place, things that we may not necessarily ever get to experience mm-hmm. ourselves for a variety of reasons. Yeah. And I, yeah, and I feel like that's how I learn and, and it, and it's just fascinating. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine my world without books. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I think that's, again, why I could relate to this story, because at the end, we haven't talked about the ending, what happens after he escapes, but when he finds this whole underground system of, uh, what did I call them? Let's see here. The, um, basically, the the, the new um, underground homeless that were the refugees that were intellects and professors. <laughs> And what I thought was cool about how they each were responsible for keeping the content of one book in their head mm-hmm. and that they were waiting and they, they used the words, the intellectual Holocaust, mm. which I thought was really powerful. Yeah. 
And they were waiting for the moment when the world needs them. And I was like, would I be one of those people? And I, I, I'd, I'd like to think so. Yeah. I, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there comes a point where it's like, how, what do you do when there's somebody threatening you or your family? Like, mm -hmm. are you going to give in and lay down and mm -hmm. take it? Or are you going to stand up, whether it's secretly or mm -hmm. in somebody's face? I, it's hard. Well, but I think... So I'll go back to Clarissa's family and just what we know about them from what she shared and then the fact that they all disappeared. Mm -hmm. You know, again, yeah, I mean, I it, I guess it depends on what your idea of living and survival looks like. Right. Because you could keep surviving, but are you really living? Right. And if you knew there was something more than what the world was offering and your choice was between taking what was being pushed on you and just existing versus living a rich life, what would you do? I don't know. I think it's hard to know until you're in that situation. Right. Yeah. But definitely keeps you thinking. Definitely. That's what I liked about this book. And mm -hmm. I had way too many quotes. I know. There was just so much. Great bad Bradbury. Where, like, he's dead, isn't he? I think so. All right. Well, if you're listening, dude, amazing writer. Yeah. Makes me want to read some more of your stuff. So thank you. I have just a funny quote. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, it's funny. And it says, why waste your final hours racing about your cage denying you're a squirrel? <laughs> <laughs> what was the I literally for that? picked that because it said squirrel, and I was like, <laughs> nice. "Yes." Uh, Do you remember? I don't. That's it's, okay. It's kind yeah. of like pushed out of my. It's been like three weeks since I've read the book, so mm -hmm. I don't remember much of it. But a lot of the quotes were very, I felt deep and mm -hmm. you know applicable to today to today's life. Mm -hmm. um, the other one that I want to share really quick is, "It doesn't matter what you do," he said, "so long as you change something from the way it was before you touched it into something that's like you after you take your hands away." The difference between the man who just cuts lawns and a real gardener is in the touching, he said. The lawn cutter must might just as well not have been there at all. The gardener will be there a lifetime. Mm, and I, I like kind of like that about with everything. I mean, yep. I would hope that mm -hmm. whatever I do makes a difference and mm -hmm. that people can not remember me, but that I've had some sort of impact on something for the greater good. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I agreed. Well, I will end with my final quote then, um, which ties in well to yours. And it is, last night, I thought about all the kerosene I've used in the past 10 years, and I thought about books. And for the first time, I realized that a man was behind each one of the books. A man had to think them up. A man had to take a long time to put them down on paper. Mm, that's nice. And I think that goes back to when you're asking why are books important. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a, you know, it's, an, it's a form of art and expressionism. Why do we go look at paintings? Yeah. To, um, it's yeah. the same idea, to ha experience the talent in the ideas and vision of someone else. Mm -hmm. So I like it. Good choice, Corey. Thanks. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to have a very short discussion about <laughs> the next book. Okay, so welcome back. So my book that I picked for the banned books is The Well of Loneliness by Radcliffe Hall. And it was originally published in 1928. And it's kind of the, I don't know if it's the first lesbian. Uh, it was. was it? Yep. The first lesbian fiction? Yep. Um, and it was semi-autobiographical. It was, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, I think 
Stephen Gordon is the main protagonist and she's always been kind of different and her father has, I think he knows that she's different because he makes subtle hints of like, oh, she wants to do fencing instead of play with dolls and she'd rather wear trousers than dresses and, you know, he tragically dies and then she's left with a mother that doesn't understand her or wants to get to know her and she falls in love with the uh, maid at the very ripe age of like five and she just kind of goes through these turmoils of relationships and finding women who are similar to her and heartbreak. And some of them are married to men because that's what you're supposed to do in the 1920s. And so it's just this kind of life struggle of her figuring out her place in the world with a, a ridiculous amount of tragedies, I felt like, um, and trying to be who she really is. And being authentic while also, you know, having the pressures of Victorian England, you know, bouncing off mm-hmm. of you, being like, you're not normal. Mm-hmm. Um, but that still happens today. It does, which leads me to the very first thing in this book that you read is a commentary from Havelock Ellis. And she says, I have read The Well of Loneliness with great interest because apart from its fine qualities as a novel by a writer of accomplished art... It possesses a notable psychological and sociological significance. So far as I know, it is the first English novel which presents in a completely faithful and uncompromising form one particular aspect of sexual life as it exists among us today. The relation of certain people who, while different from their fellow human beings, are sometimes of the highest character and the finest aptitudes to the often hostile society in which they move presents difficult and still unsolved problems. The poignant situations which thus arise are here set forth so vividly and yet with such complete absence of offense that we must place Radcliffe Hall's book on a high level of distinction. And I feel I read that. That was the Mm -hmm. first thing I read. And I was like, and this is still applicable today. Almost 100 years later. 100 years later. Mm -hmm. And it's still like one of those things of... I get very haughty when it comes to LGBTQ rights. Sure. And so it's, I read that and I was just like, oh, why is this still happening? And it's freaking 2018 almost, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it is what it is. So this book was pretty um, dense <laughs> and slow and painful and very 1920s. I mean, it's just, there's so many words to describe things, which as you know, I don't like. Um and she kept the one copy of the libraries for the <laughs> over like weeks on end. So I didn't get a chance to even start this one. But I I trust that she will give you the snapshot of what you need to know about it. <laughs> or not. She's wordless. <laughs> I'm wordless on this book. I think I don't know if it's a must read like Fahrenheit mm-hmm. four fifty one was. Like okay. this is a okay book. Uh-huh. It's long and it's painful. But I understand because in the 1920s, you know, this is the first lesbian book, mm-hmm. like f- lesbian fiction book. And I I don't think maybe they knew how to really describe it. So because they didn't just say gay or lesbian, mm-hmm. they beat around the bush. And so it ends up being more words than yeah. necessary to describe sure. the situations. Um, so you would say that it's certainly a significant book for historical purposes yes definitely as far as something that is an interesting and fulfilling read it may not be your best bet if you're looking for something that's a commentary on lgbt rights and lives no i mean you know i think it's based on her life and Mm -hmm. i knew that going in so Mm -hmm. i kind of had a 
I didn't feel like it was a fiction book. I felt like it was an autobiographical book of her life and her experiences. Got it. And when I Googled her, you know, she is exactly the images that are on Google are exactly as she describes in the book. Like she mm-hmm. is the reflection of Stephen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they tried to tie in. So I think they tried to tie in like mind over matter. So they started calling the baby Stephen while it was still in utero mm. because they were determined that it was a boy. <laughs> and so they were like, oh, if we keep calling it Stephen, it's going to be a boy. But then, you know, it, it turned out to be a girl. And the dad was like, I think we should still call her Stephen. Oh. And so I think they were trying to, I don't know, hint at maybe the name makes the person. Hmm. Because, I mean, Radcliffe is not a very mm-hmm. – I don't know if that's a – That's kind of – and I don't think that's her real name either. I feel like the, when I was looking through the notes, there was something else. Maybe not. Maybe I'm making that up. I think it's her real name. Okay. okay. Because – and that would make sense. Like, if mm-hmm. they thought they were having a boy, because, you know, it's the 19 19- – 20s. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. not going to have... Oh, no, not oh, even the 1920s. Yeah, it's yeah. 18, late 1800s. They are not going to have sonograms. Are they called sonograms? What are they called? Um, not sonograms. If you hadn't asked me, I could tell you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that thing women get. It? Anyways, I you all know we're talking... sonogram. Ta- yeah, maybe it is. I don't know. Anyways, it people know weird. what we're talking about. Yeah, to determine whether your baby is healthy and the sex of the baby, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so if they were... I think men were... The boys were really what's wanted in that time. Oh, yeah, because women were not worth anything. Exactly. So, yes, you wanted a male heir, especially in England, to yeah. carry on. So maybe if you, like, tell somebody that their name is such and such in utero, that maybe mm-hmm. it would make them be gay? I don't know. It, that's just kind of like the subliminal messages I was getting, like, oh, yeah. because they called her Stephen through her whole entire pregnancy, and that means that Or she's, maybe it's karma. Maybe. <laughs> you can watch what you wish for. <laughs> But it is a love story. It goes in and out of her relationships with certain people, and it's very reflective on her actual life. So, mm-hmm. like I said, it it didn't feel very fiction-based to me. It felt very autobiographical of her mm-hmm. experiences being a lesbian in the 1920s. Yeah. Well, again, I uh, – so my contributions to this conversation are the following. <laughs> it remained banned in England until 1959. Oh, wow. Yep. And – one of the reasons that it was so controversial is in post-World War One, it was seen as unpatriotic as women were portrayed in a non-maternal role and was subverting the message of their need to help rebuild the population post-war. Yeah. So I thought that was an interesting uh, way to frame the problem with the book. Um, the other thing, and this is just kind of random, is I was poking around on the internet looking at things about it. The covers for the various editions of the book are fascinating so if you have time i would go look at them because there's all these like really interesting uh you know it'll be like a masculine looking woman or i don't know it just kind of still played into a lot of our stereotypes and assumptions of Mm -hmm. gender uh assignment and things like that today Mm -hmm. so yeah my cover uh i'll take a picture of it and post it it's from the library and it's definitely Interesting. It kind of looks like there's avocados on the cover, but I don't think that's true. I think they're supposed to be flowers, but like that looks like an uh, avocado. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that kind of looks like an acorn. And mm, I don't interesting. know. Interesting. I wonder. I'm also wondering if those are meant to be representative of um, sexual something, s- sexual body parts. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. It'd be weird. Yeah. Anywho. But there are some. Sorry. There are some really cool quotes that I 
liked. And one of them is, you're neither unnatural nor abominable nor mad. You're as much a part of what people call nature as anyone else. Only you're unexplained as yet. You've not got your niche in creation. But someday that will come. And meanwhile, don't shrink from yourself, but face yourself calmly and bravely. Have courage. Do the best you can with your burden. But above all, be honorable. Cling to your honor for the sake of those others who share the same burden. For their sake, show the world that people like you and they can be quite as selfless and fine as the rest of mankind. Let your life go to prove this. It would be a really great life work, Stephen. And Hmm. so that's her dad because her dad is gets that she's different that she's a lesbian and this was a conversation they had early on in her life i think she was maybe 10 Mm -hmm. and i was just you know how i just found this book really relatable to Mm -hmm. today's time of just being like be who you are Mm -hmm. be kind be gentle show the world that you're not this abomination or that you're Mm -hmm. an evil being like Mm -hmm. just be your true authentic self and people will love you Mm. Um, and, uh, I think that's the only one I'm going to share. I have another one, but it's a similar from the one above. So it, I think it's a good read. I think if you want to read the first lesbian fiction book ever, but I don't Mm -hmm. necessarily feel like you need to read it. Like I felt like for, uh, Fahrenheit 451 was. Okay. So. That's all I got. Sorry. It was, I read it and it's long and it's challenging and your brain just kind of shuts off after a while. So. Well, and it's the reality we knew uh, since we're picking books we haven't read before, we're kind of operating on faith here. Yeah, totally. They don't work for us and that's okay. All right. So for next week, our genre is magical realism. Which I'm so excited about. I am excited as well. So the book that I picked is The Girl with Glass Feet by Ali Shaw. And the description is, strange, strange things are happening on the remote and snowbound archipelago Archipelago? Archipelago of St. Howda's Land. Unusual winged creatures flit around the icy bogland. Albino animals hide themselves in the snowy glazed woods. And Ida McLaird is slowly turning into glass. Ida is an outsider in these parts, a mainlander who has visited the islands only once before. Yet during that one faithful visit, or fateful visit, the glass transformation began to take hold, and now she has returned in search of a cure. Okay. Sounds intriguing. It does. All right. I picked Exit West, which is a recent release that's gotten a lot of good buzz, and it's by Mohsen Hamid. And the description is, in a country teetering on the brink of civil war, two young people meet, sensual, fiercely independent, independent Nadia, and gentle, restrained Saeed. They embark on a furtive love affair and are soon cloistered in a premature intimacy by the unrest roiling their city. When it explodes, turning familiar streets into a patchwork of checkpoints and bomb blasts, they begin to hear whispers about doors, doors that can whisk people far away, if perilously and for a price. As the violence escalates, Nadia and Saeed decide that they no longer have a choice. Leaving their homeland and their old lives behind, they find a door and step through. Dun, dun, dun. So join us next week when we discuss these book selections. Hey, book friends. We hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Thanks for listening along with us. Head over to our podcast site to share your recommendations and your opinions with us on the books we have read. That website is booksandteapodcast.com. It's also where you will find our podcast show notes with a full list of titles for the books, along with our favorite tea and what we mentioned today. 
If you are on any social media, feel free to stop by our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter accounts. You will find those links on our website. To be the first to hear about the next new podcast and what we are working on, make sure you are signed up to our newsletter. 